Hi, I'm Cam. And I'm Katie. And this is the Nerdbook Review. Today we will be reviewing The Black Prism by Brent Weeks. Quick little book info. It is 629 hardcover pages long. It is the first book in what was originally called the Lightbringer Trilogy. It is supposed to be finished next fall with um, the fifth installment. You may have remembered, I think I've mentioned that in two of our previous book reviews. (laughs) Just that, I mean, it's not that I mind having more things to read. I just wanted to know before I read the last (laughs) book that it wasn't the last book. That's true. But in fact, I just was looking on his Twitter today and he, someone asked him if it was a hard fall of 2018. He says, I don't feel great about that, but that's what I'm committed to. So, (laughs) probably. See, and that's not even like, I don't even care when it comes out. Just (laughs) wanted to know before I finished reading the last book that it wasn't the last book. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, He also has one other trilogy called the Night Angel Trilogy. It is darker than this one. I really enjoyed it. It kind of reminded me of the Black Company, which I think I will be reviewing with someone here coming up. So So if you like that one already, maybe check out Dark Angel. I have not read it. I cannot condone it. (laughs) Yeah. Black Company is one of those books that is... I think doesn't get its due. I've been I've been throwing this all over social media and every and anybody that I ever talk to that Black Company is a book that, that just doesn't quite get its due in this current day and age. But that's not what we're here to talk about. So oh yeah, but you did mention something. Cameron started a Twitter that he is obsessed with. What is your handle? Nerd Book Review. Nerd Book no Review. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there's that floating out there now too. <laughs> so. Yeah. So I finally got around to starting all of our social media. There's a Facebook page now, as well as the Twitter, the tweets. Um, get those tweets. Get those tweets. You know, my my first interaction with someone who's actually listened to the podcast was through Twitter. So they also, they agreed with you mm-hmm. on the... I mean, uh, who wouldn't agree with me? It's true. Come on. The, Obviously. Uh, yes, the individual did not like Mark Lawrence's first series, The uh, Broken Empire. He, she did not at all like Jorg. In fact, she said she tried to read the second book, just quit there because of that, but she loves Red Sister, so. Yeah, I uh, can't say anything about the second book. First one got more interesting, as I said in the review. Yeah. I'm, I'm open to it. Yeah. I'm opening, I'm still open to trying the second book. <laughs> all right, so we are going to go ahead and have Katie now read the Goodreads blurb. Gavin Guile is The Prism the most powerful man in the world. He is a high priest and emperor, a man whose power, wit, and charm are all that preserves a tenuous peace. But prisms never last, and Guile knows exactly how long he has left to live, five years to achieve five impossible goals. But when Guile discovers he has a son, born in a far kingdom after the war that put him in power, He must decide how much he's willing to pay to protect a secret that could tear his world apart. Oh, no. Uh, This, you know what? I don't really need to give my take. For once on Goodreads blurbs, it's actually pretty concise and to the point. Gavin Guile. Covers a lot of uh, points. Yeah. Yeah. He has a terrible secret and a son. Yeah. I mean, there's some some magic and a few other main characters thrown in there, but that's the gist of it. Yeah. 
All right, then. The book has two main characters. Uh, Gavin, who is the prism. He's not an absolute emperor, but he does rule with a council called the Spectrum. Nine other people. They all have pretty equal. It's like small council democracy type situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and beyond this, he's basically the pope of their religion and is considered the chosen one of their, like chosen by their god or holum. Um, and there's one prism a generation. Yes. Except for this generation, when he and his younger brother were somehow both prisms and created this gigantic war, tore the world apart, and somehow resulted in our other main character, his bastard son. Yes. Who is Kip. He's 15, and he grew up in a village devastated by war, and even 16 years later, like, real terrible place to live. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, it was a backwater when the place that where they fought before it was destroyed. So now mm-hmm. it's just a real, real Yeah, hole. and even the, like, the capital city that was great once was just destroyed and repeatedly, like, just taken advantage of by yeah. all the other... They'll say that before the war started, there were at least a couple hundred thousand people mm-hmm. in the city, and when the war ended, there were 5,000. And most of those people died. I think there were maybe a few more than that left, but yeah, no, they, they're just, like, rivers of dead. Yes. Um, and he grew up with his drug-addicted mother and no father. He didn't know who his father was, what happened to him. His mom, to the extent of it was just, you ruined my life. Yes. So, real, really positive childhood. (laughs) As with all great storybook men. Yes. Basically, this story is going to be, like, move forward based on the politics of still the fallout of that war 16 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so, there's seven, um, I call them satraps. She calls them satraps. Satraps. um, And satrapas, depending on their gender i see sex, whatever Alrighty then some of them kind of stayed out of it as much to the extent they could two of them fought for Dazen, and they are oh no those are the satrapies mm-hmm. so traps and satrapas are the people that lead the satrapies oh okay that's why i was saying the gender I got you. I was like, I don't really know what's going on here. So the two that didn't, or that basically followed Dazen, one Mm -hmm. expressly followed him, and that's the place where it's now still devastated. The other ones were already pirates that don't care about magic or anything like that anyway as much, so they just kept on pirating. Yeah. So, (laughs) and then uh, the other ones variously either kind of stayed out of things or specifically helped him. Uh, there will be a couple of other little points of view. Uh, Karis will get her own. Um, she is a black guard. Has been she's the white black guard. The white black she's guard. She's referred to later. Yes, yes. She will be a much lighter skinned. As we will get into uh, why skin color matters, not for the way the reason that you might think, because there's plenty of slavery in this. But your skin color doesn't matter when it comes to slavery. Nope. Nope. The it does matter quite a bit. When it yeah. comes to the magic. Yeah. So, there, oh. oh, go ahead. And there is uh, a few more point of views that are added throughout the series. The only other one in this one, I believe, is Liv. Another... Young drafter. Uh, yes. Who... A drafter is what you call someone that does magic? I don't know if we've said that yet. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. We're kind of getting all over the place a little bit here. I might have to tighten some things up as we go back. Tighten it up. Tighten it up. Looking tight. So, the technology is magic-based... 
with early gunpowder weapons. Now, I say the technology is magic-based because any of the, like, gears and pulleys are mostly made from magic. The, The few crude vehicles that we'll see, they're also made by magic, too, so... Uh, not always, I believe, especially the the Elysians, the pirates. Mm-hmm. That's why they have like gunpowder weapons, things like that. They're not so reliant on magic as everyone else is. Mm-hmm. The other, that's another reason that Tyria, the more poor satrapy, is so poor is they don't have drafters anymore. They have they don't have the money to send them off to be educated, so they don't have the people coming back that are essentially indentured to keep up their like the to, yeah to keep the water coming into the city to keep things just working mm-hmm. so yeah no, also not everybody can use magic no it does seem like a, a fairly high percentage of people i mean it's still only like a few percentage points but it's not like incredibly rare like it is in some other yeah and it series. seems to have some kind of genetic component mm-hmm. oh, especially because some yeah. of them especially like live she sees ultraviolet light they call it superviolet so her eyes have to her pupils have to dilate down so far that like that's not a normal eye mm-hmm. and some can see uh infrared which they call subred but so your eyes would have to like expand so far mm-hmm. it's like there has to be something i think that if, if it's not fully known it's generally it accepted yeah, they they suspect that that's it yeah because they are especially women drafters are very pressured to have children yeah and most drafters won't won't marry a non-drafter either if they're given the opportunity well unless they're like they're some powerful. crappy monochrome that has like orange <laughs> maybe yes or yellow Yellow's okay as long as you're a super chromat, okay? Okay. <laughs> Otherwise, if you're a man who's a yellow drafter, not so good. Well, you, you're de- you definitely don't have the color. <laughs> I do not. I do not. So, let's get into that magic system. In my opinion, that is the coolest part of the entire book series is the magic. Yeah, and it's, like, it lays out a lot of rules for you with it. But you, it's also really innovative, so you can kind of think, like, what could they do here? And then there are a lot of solutions to problems that you wouldn't necessarily think of. Yeah. So, magic. There are seven mm-hmm. different color... There are, they have five colors in our visible spectrum, five hues, that they use to draft, including... And then they also include one on either side, ultraviolet and infrared, but they call them... Superviolet and subred. So, so the, there are seven total colors in their spectrum, which is why the ruling body is called the spectrum. There's yep. one of each color. And so those colors are in order what now again? Blue, green? Well, subred, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, ultraviolet. Okay. And so... Superviolet. M- superviolet. So most people are monochromes or bichromes. So you'll be and able to mostly even monochrome. Yeah, mostly, so but it does seem like there there's a fair number of of people who are even if they are only monochrome in terms of like where they can what they can really do yeah, good work with. Yeah, what they can test for. What they can test for. They have a little bit of ability and like one that's going to be a contiguous color for most so, people. Like if you can do blue, you're likely to be able to do at least a little bit in either green or, or super violet. violet. But not red. That's yeah. uncommon. Yeah. 
then that's called a discontiguous one, which is one of the one of the bigger characters. Karis is a little bit different for being a discontiguous. Yeah, she's bichrome. green and red, and almost subred. Yeah, and one thing, th- this magic is like a physical thing. So these colors are they manifest themselves physically. Like first off, it shoots out of your body. Like so it cuts, th- it cuts through well, your skin. You you gather the light through your eyes, so you have to be able to see the color. Like you have to be able to see blue, and you have to be able to see the perfect blue, which is why men are not quite as good because they're not as common to be able to see it. And then it gathers in your body, and then it shoots through your skin, and you control it to like solidify it into things. So people make swords out of blue a lot because and they'll have, you know, sharp edges and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um greens are a little bit more wild. Like think of that and so like people will create like spikes and things that they'll shoot at people or, you know, like yeah. and they have like, different textures like orange is slippery. Yellow you, is the hardest because you have to have like the perfect shade of it or it just completely falls apart because it's basically liquid. I don't know, red is sticky, crap like that. Yep. And then each color has a set of emotions that are associated with them. So if you're drafting a bunch of red, you are going to be like... Angrier. Yeah, angrier. Or more aggressive. Yeah. Greens are uh, more lustful and wild. Blues become very... uh, Logical. Logical and and reasoned. Uh, Super violet is like cynical, but also... Um, and they, they each have a more of a positive and a negative mm-hmm. intonation that they, it's kind of a religious thing. So I think superviolet is something like arrogant, like, kind of it's superviolet's more like arrogant, but also like confident, f- better than everybody else feeling because you see what they don't. Oh, well, you feel superior. Yeah. So, and I can't think of the word that they use in it, but I'm not sure, but so it's that, but it's also like deeper than law it's i think it's part of the spectrum like blue is logical and then super violet is a little bit further and then it goes toward wild and mm-hmm. like emotional is orange like yep. you have the emotional yeah so uh the other thing is that so since men a lot of men can't see all of the colors they're not they can't see the finer grades. differentiate yeah, yeah gradations in the hues yep. so they can't necessarily draft as well yep. they have to make up for it with Will. will yeah basically the, they 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 have to try harder they, they have to try harder <laughs> and it's one reason why in addition to being powerful drafters have to like they're kind of pampered by a, a lot you know most of the time yeah even if they're basically indent a lot of them are basically indentured servants but they're treated really well because if they don't believe in themselves they can't do it yeah if they don't believe they're superior and they yeah. aren't going to be yeah. they have to know they're special yep the whole like one thing I liked in the world is that the culture is shaped by the magic in that um, because you can see the color that you're drafting in your skin, it's more valuable to be darker skinned so that people don't see your colors well when you're fighting. So there are far fewer light skinned cultures and a lot more mixing especially between the different satrapies because they're trying to get the perfect combination which is black skin blue eyes because blue eyes let in more light yeah so the black guard was called the black guard 
literally because almost every member who's ever been in it is black. Yeah. Like really dark skin. The, the Pereans, is that how you say yeah, it? Yeah, that's how I always said it. Pereans okay. and Elysians. Yeah. They're they're just naturally darker skinned, and like I said, they, they become better drap warriors mm-hmm. when when you're darker skinned. If if you can, if it takes longer to tell that they're trying to to channel yeah. that power, so well, and that's even there's one there's only one race that's even described as white, and they're unnervingly pale. Yes, they and are. then one that's olive. Yeah, like, and yeah, the blood foresters are. The pale. The pale ones. And they're... The Tashians are olive-skinned, and they're the only ones, I think, that are ever blonde. And it's rare. Yeah. It's even... Like, the main character, Kip, he is dark-skinned. I think they say he has kinky hair, blue eyes, freckles, so which is a blood forester thing. So he doesn't even generally know his... All of uh, his background. Yeah. So... Yeah. And (laughs) this is the one thing that I've... That just I don't like to tend generally get political and whatnot in this this podcast, but this is where I could see there being a real issue in uh, this ever becoming a movie or a TV series is is you know that it's going to get cast with a bunch of like just white people to in order to be. No, I told you on his website, Brent Weeks has this funny little. I guess not funny. It's kind of cool. They made like a trailer for one of the books, uh-huh. and there were all these comments saying, "I would never watch this. This is so." such inaccuracies like this because the character was black. Because Kip He's was black. black. Yeah. And they're saying that it's so inaccurate to the book that they wouldn't watch it if it was a show. He is literally it's, described as He's described as coffee. darker. He's Well, he's described as darker than the Tyrians who are coffee coffees. Skin. Yes. So. <laughs> it doesn't, like. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So, anyways. So going back to the magic system, there's a finite amount of magic that you are able to use in your lifetime before you break the halo, as they call it. Like literally, once the color fills up in your eyes, which shows how much you've drafted, then um, if it once it breaks out of that halo... It starts to fill the white of your eye, the sclera, and as soon as it does that, they... They just decide you've gotten crazy. Like, yeah. You're a white. Most people do go crazy, though. Not right away. Not right away. Well, they said some people get weeks or months, yeah. but a majority of people saying. go crazy pretty mm-hmm. quickly. They revert to basically like, think of, I kind of thought of it like almost like a demigod type of power. Like you start, so greens will start trying to replace body parts with like, yeah, they'll replace like their knee joints with green because it's springy, springy, so they jump can jump and, and run more. They'll like draft like weapons into their, you know, like spikes and things. Yeah, but then the the other thing that I also like that showed a little bit more thought put into the magic system, I thought was like as you draft more, your skin starts to dye that color when you get too far, like even before you break mm-hmm. the halo. Yeah. And, I mean, if you've ever dyed your hair, like, your skin starts to color. It, it makes perfect sense. And then, you know, you're, as you are drafting, it goes in, you know, the color goes in through your eyes. And so your irises are changing. They're always constantly filling up with the different colors you use. So that's another thing. You can see yeah. what color someone has. Yep. But. And so they used to follow, like, basically a set of pagan gods. There were seven gods. Then, if one color got drafted too much, then 
bad things would happen, natural disasters would start happening, things were out of balance. And so then we don't get too much into the lore of things in this book. It will get more into it later on. A guy came in and basically started a monotheistic religion. Lucidonius. Lucidonius came in (laughs) and started a monotheistic religion and was able to install a... They're called the prism, as we've mentioned. Oh, I was wrong. It's Lucidonius and Karis Shadowblinder. Oh. I forgot there's two. All right. His his lady. Oh, yeah. I think she's supposed to be important. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So they come in and install a prism who through it's supposed to be through Orholm's will like that one is born per generation mm-hmm. and basically a savior type figure and they are able to channel unlimited amounts of power and so every once in a while they will actually like feel out what um has been used too often so like if red drafters have been drafting too much and then what would that make green or blue 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 so then he'd draft a crap ton of blue blue and bring things into balance before he was there they would either have meetings you get groups together and say okay well we need people to not draft as much blue now or not as draft as much red and to draft more blue so then the blue drafters would die more quickly but also the red drafters couldn't use their power to do the red drafters wouldn't be able to use their power to do the things that they need to for their communities yeah no matter what you think about this system it everyone agrees that the system even if it's flawed is certainly a whole lot better than having natural disasters go on all the time and your village wiped out every once in a while through just crazy things happening so then beyond just the magic there is uh slavery in this world one thing, I guess, with the slavery is it's more like it was in, like, antiquity. Think, like, Roman times where it doesn't have anything to do with your skin color. It has mostly to do with... Like being captured, Yeah. One thing, big one, yeah. If the pirates capture you and you don't have the money to ransom yourself, then they will often clip your ear and make you a slave. Um, Chain you to an oar or sell you off. Yeah, and... I'm sure that I think poor families will sell off their children sometimes and things like that. So, anyways... Not a good thing. Okay, and so then beyond slavery, there's also... Indentured servitude. Yes. Uh, a lot of the people that can draft don't have the money to go to the Chromeria, which is the name of the school. I don't think we've even mentioned that. It's also where the prison lives and where, you know, the spectrum meets and stuff. So they don't have the money to go there. They need a patron to pay. Well, that person expects basically a lifetime of servitude to pay back this debt it costs a lot of money to go there i mean if you if you're a bichrome or higher most of you you know you get nice rooms all to yourself you get a room slave you're living it up you all nice clothes because you have to know you're special (laughs) yeah yes now uh one thing i did find pretty distracting though was that pretty much every woman in the book is first described by her breasts uh, the shape, the size, uh, maybe the feel, I don't know, of them. <laughs> um, I still enjoyed the book quite a bit, but it is something that I considered a negative in terms of how often that's the case. I'm not denying that this was a common description. That I mean, there were a lot of talk about the boobs. Mm-hmm. I do feel that most of those things, that most of the time this happened was in the perspective of a 15-year-old boy. 
a 15-year-old boy who found himself very unattractive and was often using that description and then bringing it back on himself. He would describe a woman in relation to how, you know, even if it was that he was interested in her for non-attractive reasons and then bring it back to, oh, well, I'm fat and gross and at least my boobs are smaller than hers. Yeah. Like that's. Yeah, but that's not the only times it happens, though. The King, King Garadul, mm-hmm. he goes off on a big, long tirade against Karis, one of the other point of view characters, mm-hmm. about how I think exactly her tits were bigger when she was 15 than they are currently because mm-hmm. of her training. Um, Gavin. To be fair, true. True. Okay. <laughs> so Gavin describes his room slave. Mm-hmm. I think he describes her breasts as well, still being like pert and whatnot from just like they were the first time you met her i don't think you said pert that's something that you hear in your personal life from somebody else (laughs) um that one doesn't bother me because it might be a slave but it is someone that he has a relationship with okay garadul which which we need to talk about here at some point you know a little gross yeah but also she's basically like bodybuilder level He also talks about how manly her shoulders are. Like, he's just being a dick. Yeah. I mean, she even says in her point of view, like, these are my insecurities also. Yeah. Like, how did he know? Well, I mean, just because it's the things that make you not womanly. And if you're in a society where women are still womanly, then those are going to be your things. But he also, especially Kip, describes the men similarly in some situations. Especially Gavin. Yeah. Like, the way he describes his muscles is reverent and mildly sexual sounding. (laughs) So I feel like it might just be, even if it's not the specific character, part of the way Brent Weeks describes everyone even. Yeah. Like, I mean, even Iron Fist, like... Yeah, Can you picture his muscles? Yeah, I like, really picture Mike. Like, it's too bad he died. I picture Michael Clark Duncan as Iron Fist, like from the Green Mile, just that he's massive... He's a little too jovial to me. He always seemed like he could just be a nice guy. He played a hitman in one of those early, like, Bruce Willis, like, superhero movies. Yeah. Okay. Then you win. I feel like that is a big part of not only the way he's describing things, but the way people are in this world. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I understand that. I guess, and like I said, I have a certain someone in my life that I get constantly irritated about. Is to how he physically describes every, well, mostly woman, but any person generally mm-hmm. is based on on that. So, anyways, yeah, not e- not even just boobs, weight, yeah, their physical attractiveness to that person specifically. <laughs> yes. So, anyways, but yeah, I mean, especially you know, in this world, he is a fat bastard who <laughs> grew up in a town. There's a comma in there. Fat, comma, bastard. (laughs) Yes. Grew up in a town where not only were there very few male role models, because they all died in the war, but there don't even seem to be very many people his age. So not many women to, like, grow up with. Not many people to... I mean, his mom is just a horrible human. Yeah. And he goes to this place where it's basically full of nobles, attractive slaves, because the nobles are going to have attractive slaves. Mm -hmm. And... These people have been selectively breeding for probably centuries to get strong, tall, athletic, strong drafters, Mm -hmm. you know, that he's going to feel even more of an outcast and be like, 
wowed by how attractive these people are. Yeah. So just in general, there's an awful lot of inequity in this this world, you know. I mean, you have a serious class system. You have slavery, you know, and then even within um, the nobles, you know, being a, dra- a powerful drafter is, you know, is more important. So there's going to be, you know, these kind of, um, it's not a super pretty, happy, utopian world by any means. Oh, God, no. Yeah, yeah. this is, it's not a place you would want to live unless you were essentially like the prism or on the spectrum or a satrapa or satrap. Yeah. Well, actually, that's one thing Liv talks about. We oh, mentioned yeah. that she um, was from that backwater town as well, and which was, you know, backwater town in the worst of the satraps to live in. And that she talks about how when she, she hated living in it when she was at the bottom of it. But now that she's not at the bottom of the heap anymore, she kind of enjoys mm-hmm. the knowing where her place in it is. Yeah, and it, I mean, that's a familiar story yep. for most caste um, systems. Yep. So. so getting into the the recommendation, did we like it? How did it make us feel? We recommend to others and all that kind of good stuff. Um, I'm going to just say that I really enjoyed the book for the most part. I think it's maybe the coolest magic system that I've ever read, um, just in terms of I love that... It's a physical, you know, manifestation. It has legitimate consequences. I have read reviews of books before where in the series they're like, magic has consequences. Yeah, it makes you tired for a while, you know. Or maybe if you drafted a whole lot of magic, it knocks you out. But you're still going to wake up in a day or two okay. Like, Mm -hmm. they say that um, the average male doesn't make it to 40. Mm -hmm. And the average woman doesn't make it to 50. Yeah. So that's a pretty big deal. Yeah. So when we read Memory, Sorrow and Thorn, I had a real big issue with Simon. He was like a 14, 15 year old boy who made poor decisions, was generally ignorant, and he annoyed the crap out of me. Kip is a 15 year old boy who feels like a teenager. He makes some dumb decisions. He's generally ignorant of just how ignorant he is. And he doesn't annoy the crap out of me. He's fine. I I feel like he's well written and I don't hate him. Yeah, and I feel like he really moves forward um, in this book a little bit. But as we've read, you know, the first four books in the series, he really moves forward throughout this series. Yeah, he grows a lot. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of his, I mean, just like Simon was a kitchen boy, um, Kip was in a backwater town and just doesn't really have any real... Um, Is there like a synonym for backwater? We've said that like 20 times. (laughs) A dump of a town. Anyways. Well, and on the flip side, I feel like in a lot of stories, Gavin is that kind of character that we wouldn't care for. That's he's powerful, smart, witty, handsome. He like charms everyone. But because you're actually getting his point of view, it's, He's really flawed and he's selfish and kind of narcissistic, but he wants to believe he's doing the right thing and he he's empathetic and he seems like he's actually trying to help people, but he's also, you know, super narcissistic. <laughs> well, I mean, he's the literally the most powerful um, person on the planet, mm-hmm. or at least as far as we know, because I think they're actually... Yeah, are, there's, uh, there's places uh, outside. Yeah, we just don't know uh, know anything about them. Yeah. And so. the in the map, it's like literally a, a a sea inside a bunch of land, and then mountains around. So there it. has to like, 
There's yeah. no way there's not something out there. Yes. <laughs> so, um, on the, the how did it make us feel part, um, like I said, I felt a little uncomfortable with the descriptions of women, um, but like I said, that could also be a personal issue. Um, the world has a ton of inequity. Um, talk about Gavin just a moment ago. He's in a situation where today we would definitely call it rape with his room slave. She's willing, but just like we talk about with Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemings, like even if she willingly went to his bed every time, she was still a slave mm-hmm. who basically lived in a closet and had zero, you know, say in whether she was actually going to sleep with yeah. him. There was no actual freedom. No. Because what was going to happen if she said no? Yeah, I mean, there wasn't. So so that is something that, you know, Gavin, even if he's trying to be a good person, he doesn't have, he doesn't see any issues at all with, with that arrangement. And I think that as a part of the book, that doesn't bother me. It's not like this is an aspirational world. Yeah. And... I mean, what do you expect the pirates to do? Not pillage and enslave people? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, mean, that's what they did. If they've survived without magic, obviously it's by selling slaves to these people. Yeah. But I think throughout the series, it leads the characters into some interesting moral dilemmas and also into some really interesting interactions with the slaves. Yeah. So I, I don't think it's in any way arbitrary to the story mm-hmm. that there are slaves. There are many slaves that are extremely important to the story. Yeah. I definitely recommend this to others just based on the magic system alone. Like like I said, I really do think it's a cool magic system. Uh, I think it's well written. It's got a ton of entertaining action. And I have enjoyed all four of the books so far. I don't think it goes quite as far on the moralistic spectrum as, you know, maybe like a Jemison would. Mm-hmm who, by the way, blocked me on Twitter literally immediately, or my first tweet. Apparently she has quite the spam filter, and I tweeted at her to say how great the book was, and suddenly I was blocked. Yeah, well. (laughs) Would you recommend to others, dear? You know, I really love the magic system. The characters are great. It it gets better and better, but I would not recommend it. So I'm going to give this book a four-star I know that seems a little bit low with the ratings I've often given, but I actually really do feel like this is pretty accurate how, for how I feel about it. The series, I'm gonna, I would rate a little bit higher, like a 4.5. Um, have my little personal pet peeves that takes me out of things a little bit, but this is, you know, one of my favorite magic systems anywhere. Uh, I would give the entire series so far five stars. This one maybe four and a half, but honestly, it's a great start to the series. It makes me want more. I, I could give it a five stars, but overall the series, it has what I want. There's a lot of suspense. Things are really never what they seem. As soon as you think you figure something out, you're wrong again. Uh, it gives me reasons to reread and theorize about prophecies and characters and outcomes. And I really do care about many of the main characters, even ones that come along later. Like a main character could come along in like the fourth book and I care about him by the end. Mm-hmm. Even if the other ones I've seen for four books. So I think it's just generally enjoyable. And I really love these books. Yeah. And can't wait for the next one. Really looking forward to, to book five next year. Just we'll get this real quick in. Um, who should and shouldn't read it? Who's the main audience? This is definitely for me a teenager on up. There's a fair amount of killing. Including some real gory descriptions of people dying. There's nothing super graphic sexually yet. But I feel like 
there it will get more that way as the series goes on. But there's discussion of sexual themes. Yes. And, and like joking about things. It's, you know, teenagers yeah. and groups well, of and friends. Well, and the character will and... have an issue. Like, yeah, there's a... A sexual dysfunction later yeah. on. And the violence is graphic. Yeah, awesome. and there, there are a few other things in it that are a few themes that are maybe a little bit older too, just in terms of like the scheming and... Mm-hmm. Just the way some of the things are turning out, but I'd say older teen. I'd say like 15 or 16 mm-hmm. for most kids would be, you know, well yeah. equipped to handle it by then. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, in closing, like I've really enjoyed the series. While I, I think it has a few flaws for me, it's it's still something I would recommend to anyone who likes fantasy. And if you like a little darker, grittier one, I'd also recommend the Night Angel trilogy, which, you know, he wrote before this. Mm-hmm. And I don't really have anything to say in closing. I feel like I already said it all, except for follow Cameron on Twitter at nerdbookreview, and he will immediately tell me excitedly. Also, go ahead and email us at nerdbookreview at gmail.com if you have anything you'd like to say to us. Like our page on Facebook, nerdbookreview. I think it's just facebook.com slash nerdbookreview. Okay. I hope. Yep, and <laughs> then we have a website which mostly just pumps you on over to those other sites. Which is nerdbookreview.com. Our book for next week is going to be Steelheart by Brandon Sanderson. And this will be the first book I've ever read via listening to it as an audiobook. So <laughs> the first one I've ever read, so we'll see how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, quite the Quite the description there. I, I mean, I'm nothing if not a wordsmith. <laughs> That's so. true. So I will still be reading the book on Kindle. And uh, just a quick little bit about it. It is kind of like a comic book uh, fantasy superhero thing, but all of the people who have superpowers are evil. Yeah. Yes. So it's basically like what people in X-Men thought the X-Men were. Yes. Only they really are that Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. Uh, Please rate us and review us on whatever platform you use. And have a good one. Have a good night. Thank you.